this is part two of commission cursey if you haven't already check out part one otherwise we'll jump straight into it i do know there's certain things you have to take into consideration when you're thinking of like um printing onto a t-shirt as far as colors like not just size where if if you produce art in a certain way it can look bad when it's printed mm -hmm. correct me if i'm wrong because online is rgb whereas on t-shirts is was it cm cmyk C yeah cmyk so if you're say looking at your monitor today and you're watching this podcast all those colors you're seeing on a screen on tvs in video games on a any form of screen type display device is displayed in what's called RGB, which is red, green, blue. If you guys want to Google it, I can probably find a link and we can pop it in for the chat later. That's a part of a color spectrum. So when you add those colors together, if you add all those colors together, technically you're going to get white. If you then change up those ratios of color, you'll get different colors. With CMYK, which is what your printer will use in anything that is generally and printed on something so it might be a print on a t-shirt it might be a print on a cardboard box or your mail that uses cmyk which is cyan magenta yellow and i can never remember what the k stands for but essentially it's black so those things your, your printer will add those colors together but because it's got black as an element in there one of the colors you can make things it's a, it's sort of the, not quite the reverse it's just a limited range so if you have less color options. So you're having less of this same piece of cake that or pie that your color spectrum comes from for RGB, but it's a portion of that. So it's not as vibrant in most cases um, and the color choices are a little less. And then if we're going to get down this rabbit hole, different countries use different, what they call color profiles. So there might be CMYK in the US, but they use a different one, which is called US Swap 2 or there's a few other ones and different parts of the world to use different ones. In Australia, predominantly we use coded Fulgra 39 and it has a, another name that's a lot of numbers, but essentially different printers use different things. And so it kind of gets a bit weebly. <laughs> so, yeah, so even again, depending where in the world yeah. you're getting that merch, merch made makes a difference as well. But I think... So yeah, this is very important that you communicate that with your uh, artists. I think with, say, Streamlabs and I think Stream Elements, from what I've looked at in my own personal research, I think they will allow you to upload an RGB image and they will do the colour conversion to their printers, which is lovely. It actually is one less step to do, but not all printers will do that and not all printers will be clear on which colour profile they want to use. So for me... It's one thing I've found during digital art that is a challenge. I'm gradually getting better at dealing with it. I've just started yep. generally designing. If I know it's a logo, I will assume that they're going to possibly put on a business card or a merch because I, that's what I, I do with that. So the price is sort of going to gradually start reflecting that. During COVID, I didn't put my prices up at all just because I was, you know, everyone was tied on funds and I thought that just wasn't the appropriate time. But I've assumed if you're going to ask me to do a logo that you're going to put it on something. It's just... So I will design in CMYK, which might mean we start off with a limited range of colours, but I feel like when it means you're going to print it, you'll have a better chance of that being compatible. So looking good on screen, but then still looking good on print. And it's not everyone's way of going about doing a logo, but that's the way I've managed to deal with limited colour palettes. Moving forward onto the last question we've got here. This is, this is one I've actually 
been thinking about for a while and i don't know how much you may know about it i've seen there's a lot of streamers who have material from games especially but also other pop culture in their emotes in their um, stream assets or on screen stuff mm -hmm. do you ever think that companies may because nintendo is very notorious for uh doing dmca takedowns for any of their their videos on uh, youtube back in the day i think they've lessened up now but do you ever think companies may start either going after streamers or artists who have copyrighted characters and materials on their streams i would say it's in entirely possible i mean if you look at the dmca notion altogether essentially a lot of part of it right now is applying to music because of the fact that when you're buying a piece of music, you're buying the right to listen to it at home. With film and with images from video games, there is an element where they don't mind a bit of fan-based art because it's, you know, fans showing their appreciation for elements of films such as, you know, something in Studio Ghibli with like Totoro or, you know, House Moving Castle, that kind of thing. And then, you know, all the Star, Star Wars and Star Trek stuff. But there's an element where I think there must, there is a, it's a grey zone because, you know, you have conventions where they have cosplay competitions where people cosplay as certain characters and sell art that they've been inspired by elements. It's, I wouldn't say, it's hard to say they would or it's hard to say they wouldn't. Like it's, because this whole notion of fan art has gone on for such a long time, I mean, it's, it's it possible that they once they've done more of this DMCA stuff and, you know, got on music and film, they may eventually sort of move on to to art and graphics. Yep. But, I mean, how long's a piece of string? Yeah, that's true. But uh, I guess my other, like, a follow-up question for that is if a content uh, creator approached you for, say, emotes that featured Mickey Mouse, how confident would you be in recreating it. i probably wouldn't and that's largely because it's not my art it's it's already been there it's, i respect that you know there's walt disney's a, and the disney corporation is quite a big company i would respectfully not do it i'd go we could probably do something similar but i wouldn't necessarily go that path the closest i've gotten to uh something specific in terms of referencing a film or a movie was when i did a commission that involved doing a heart-shaped emote that was with similar colours and references to, I'm not sure if your audience will be familiar with it, uh, Herbie the Love Bug. That, so <laughs> oh, I used yeah. a bit of colouring from that. But again, yeah, it's entirely possible they could do some sort of emote filter. I mean, they already do on Twitch an emote filter for certain reference points or ref, like names of, you know, you can't call it this or if it's got, like, you know, if it's, the, the, you know, the whole thing with butts, essentially, and the thirsty typing notes. So, I mean, there are sort of content yep. filters out there. Whether they start going, hey, we want you to do this, it's a big unknown with the way DMCA's gone with music and things and intellectual property. I would probably say if you're looking at getting emotes done, make it original, make it centric to you. What does, if you wanted to say go for a Mickey Mouse emote or Mickey Mouse inspired emote, what does that reference back to your stream? Like where does that fit? And how is that make? How does that fit? That is actually a very valid way of looking at it too. Because if I guess my other point is, if you're making, getting an emote made and you want it to be linked to with your channel and your channel identity, why would you want to use something else? Why would you not pick something that's relevant to you? Because your audience yep. needs to relate to you as the creator. 
but how does relating to a specific movie element or character relate back to you as the streamer? That's my food for thought for that. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Do you have anything else you'd like to bring up? I think we've actually we've tackled all the questions. Uh, I mean, we could talk about the DMCA stuff a bit more if you wanted to. I mean, that is a interesting realm of discussion. To an extent, I actually understand. I can relate to why the DMCA stuff happens with the music particularly. Again, it's the same thing with art we talked about, which is the notion of that you've licensed it for one thing, but you're using it for another. And, you know, yep. there are lots of music services out there that you can access that will allow you to listen to their music on your content platforms. Um, the one thing I'm discovering is that there is more than just one or two. Like I, I've been a staunch user of pretzel for years, <laughs> but um, I've discovered since having a second channel uh, for non-art related stuff and just for fun that at the moment with the new version, I will may need to look into something else for music because I'm only using the one PC. It's the current time for streaming and it's not recognizing my second account. So, but I'm, you know, I'm learning that there's lots of music choices out there that are stream safe. And the main thing about DMCA is that, you know, if everyone does the right thing, streams won't get muted or there won't be takedowns of content. It's about not going, oh, but I, I've got Spotify. I can just pop Spotify on. There's this thing called terms and conditions that most of us don't read. I, I for one, have clicked past terms and conditions because their pages have been too long and the language is too wordy. The gist of it is, is that if you're subscribing to a music service, you're subscribing to it for personal use. And that's the thing. Personal use does not mean I'm personally going to stream from that music service onto my stream that I'm making money for on Twitch. Because people can have expensive hobbies. That's still in the grand scheme of things considered as you making trying to make a profit from music that you've bought on a streaming service or uh, renting via a streaming service. It's a personal yeah. license. The way to look at it, uh, I had to explain this to someone recently with uh, movies actually, was that uh, you've, you've got this license for personal use, which applies to you. But if you then rebroadcast it on Twitch or whatnot, you're now basically taking the role of a TV station who would buy a license to rebroadcast that. Oh, exactly. Uh, they, they aren't just buying the same copy we are off the shelf. No, and the other way <laughs> I was thinking about it as well because I thought we were going to be talking about DMCA part of art and things. It's yep. like if you went to a bakery and went, I, I like this cake, I'll buy this cake, and then not telling the bakery that you're buying this piece of cake and then selling it slice by slice in your cafe. You can't do that, obviously, because the bakery will get upset at you and in real life that could land you in some serious legal trouble. In the same way that if you persisted with this in terms of DMCA stuff, you could effectively lose your channel if you get too many channel strikes against you. You don't want that because that means you no longer have the ability to interact with your community that you spent time building. So Yeah, it's actually... And the whole reason why I sort of brought this up with the art side of things is because like when it comes to music, a lot of people understand because it's it's been, for example, in YouTube, a talking point for the better part of a decade. But when art is involved, I was amazed when I came to Twitch to see how many people had, for example, like Pokemon as their emotes. Mm. And especially, again, like my background is YouTube originally nintendo was a big no-no because as soon as you start putting nintendo stuff on your channel 
they'd come in DMCA and you end up getting strikes against your channels. So when I came to Twitch, when I started on Twitch, people were streaming copyright music and then they would have like Pokemon emotes. And my mind was blown because I couldn't couldn't believe this. I was like, what's happening here? Is this the wild, wild west of the uh, the internet? And then, of course, since then, companies have started the DMCA for music and that on Twitch. So even then, I'm still sitting back thinking Nintendo got quite upset with YouTube creators putting their content online. I wonder if they'll ever get annoyed because people are using it for, you know, all sorts of merch. And that. There's this fine line I learned about in art school, which is appropriation. So if you're making an artwork and say it's inspired by... Okay, so example, the Mona Lisa uh, that's been appropriated and changed. So there's this line of appropriation where as long as you're changing a certain percentage of the artwork or doing it in a certain way, at least in traditional art sense, there's there's an understanding that the appropriation to a certain extent is okay as long as you're not outright just reprinting the Mona Lisa and slapping your name on it. But, I mean, like I said, there's still that realm of fan art that a lot of game companies like because it's fans' ways of making their uh, content love known. So I'm not sure if they will go down that DMCA path yet. I do think if, you know, push come to shove, they might think about it or put limitations on how you can do it. Interpreting an artwork and turning it into something, like I will fess up, I have made Pokeball style badges for a friend, but I literally drew them myself and that was very difficult because I was like, how do I do this at a tiny resolution of subscriber badges that are even smaller than emotes and that's, know but again it was an interpretation of the thing i i would they would definitely i wouldn't call them pokeballs i would say they're pokeball inspired but they just you know but if push came to shove and you know nintendo turned around and said oh that that person can't have that anymore then yeah i'd remake it but again i made those like you said there's a wild west of streaming and what's okay as an artist i'm still learning the you know finer points of what twitch will and will allow and like all of us we're all learning because there's no when you sign up to Twitch about streaming and creating stuff, there's not really a lot of guides out there. And there's, there's a lot of, you know, so-and-so knows about this or that, or I heard this information from Joe, Joe down the street, or there's a lot of sharing within peer-to-peer sharing, but platform to platform, there's not really a lot of guides about this is what is acceptable, this is what DMCA is. I didn't know about DMCA until I had one of my first streams muted because I was using Spotify way back when. And I was like, why is my stream muted? And yeah, sure enough, that's when I discovered I needed to start using things like Petzl or No Copyright Sounds or one of the other services. It's There's a lot of learning that happens on the fly. And like you yeah. said, it's a wild west out there. Another way of looking at it, streaming services, to them we are just a username because we make them money. We make money of the service, but we're just signing up to use their service as a platform in the same way that you're signing up to say use Twitter or Instagram to put content on there. It's a platform you're using it. Each of those places has different rules. And unfortunately they chuck a lot of those rules in the really wordy terms and conditions, which we all click past because we just do. The best way I've ever heard terms and conditions um, summarized was by, I think it's John Oliver on last week tonight. He said that um, they could hide an entire copy of Mein Kampf in terms and conditions for Apple's spot for Apple's um, user, 
and you just agree to it not knowing it's in there because you know you're not going to read it. <laughs> no, because those the wording is very much legal jargon and wordy and they know that they're going to they could sneak something in there and you've clicked to it. So like with Instagram, I think it is that you have a right to put images on there provided they fit the criteria, but Instagram still has the right if they want to to use those images. Like a lot of those social media platforms have that little fine tune fine bit in there. So that's in there and you know what's in there, but at the same time they know that you need to use this platform to interact with other people. They know that you're going to use their platform regardless. So they'll stop it in there. You'll sign up to it because your friends are on a social media platform and you want to interact with them because you want to not miss out on anything cool. But it's yep. it's about being aware of that if you're using music or you're using an artwork that you have the right to actually use that. And that's the bit that people think don't think about. Like you said, with music, people are becoming instantly more aware about the DMCA notion of think they could lose their content. But art's never been really considered in the same realm of things as film or music. And that's largely because film and musicians have big companies after looking after their creators and uh, the higher dollar value producing entities of the art world. Artists are generally not in a union or organisation that's looking after them in general. So it is very much everyone's running their own gig. <laughs> So yep, everyone's yep. a lot of independent, a lot of has, they're independent, which is great in a way because we can do what we want to an extent, but at the same time, you're, you don't have that collective safety net. The whole notion of safety in numbers doesn't quite work out the same, particularly say if you look at, if we're going to look at things like what's happened with COVID with the creative sector, like musics and musicians and film industry more likely at this stage to get support than individual artists because the financial thing is that those will put bums on seats in a venue and bums on seats in a venue mean bums on seats will spend money on food or drink and theoretically yep. create more of an economic impact. Gets back to yeah, the money thing. on effect. Capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to be blunt, it's capitalism. Capitalism. <laughs> um, I, you know... You see art being priced in different ways. And, you know, sometimes you go, why is that art priced that way? And largely it's a reputation thing. Largely it's also, it might have been a materials and a time thing. But at the end of the day, they are, that a chunk of that money is going to be covered to expenses or tax. Realistically, the overheads are ridiculous when it comes to making art or selling art in a gallery. Um, and that's why I don't. <laughs> I also don't do well in crowds. So, but it's again, it gets back to that notion of know what you're allowed to do on a platform, know what your rights are as the person using the platform, but also make sure that you're doing the right thing. Yeah. It's the doing the right thing while you're on a streaming service means your content's going to stay there. Your community's going to grow and your content's not going to get muted or destroyed because of DMCA. And something you said earlier, I quite like was uh, treating others, uh, treating each other with care. Mm. That's very important. So if you say find an artist that you like but you can't afford their work, do the right thing and just either say, hey, can I do a payment plan or can we table this commission for another time? You know, I like your work but it's just not something I can do right now. And that's those sort of things are okay. Either telling them that they're, not, they're too expensive or ghosting them or not responding if they're trying to reach out to you because they're trying to work out whether you want commission or not because, remember, artists are generally 
taking a list of people that they can do the work for. And so if you're unsure what you can do, communicate that with them because if you're not going to go through that work, that means they can take someone else's work on and you're helping them survive at the end of the day. It's just courtesy. Likewise, if you think their artwork is on the flip side too cheap, but you love their work anyway, don't grump at them and tell them they need to increase their pricing. They may be, like you said, be doing it for a hobby. They may be feeling that that price point for what their skill set is, is sits well for them. And chances yep. are they may have like a crowding crowdfunding platform, like a Ko-Fi or a Patreon, or if they've got a donation contribution sort of link in their Twitch channel, just chuck them some dollars that way. That's a really nice surprise to do to an artist. If you're feeling like they're, because in Australia we don't do tips. It's just not our way. We just, you know, you can tip people. Well, but with, with that being said though, like we, we don't do tips uh, as a general rule, but I, when I got my emotes done, mm-hmm. I was very happy both with the emotes with the artist because uh, I can't remember I commissioned five emotes I believe it was mm-hmm. so they charged me X amount of dollars I wanted one extra emote uh, sorry no 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 uh, five emotes one of them I wasn't sure about like I said to you I did up sort of a brief for all the rest of them mm-hmm. I said oh could you throw me some ideas they sent through six sketches mm-hmm. two of which I liked so I got one extra emote made and at the end of the day, when it was all done and dusted, I was so happy with their communication, with how quickly they did everything, both like get back to me with uh, the sketches and everything else. I actually paid for, well, I gave them a tip that was equivalent of an extra remote because I was so happy with their work. So. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, for me, I with my invoicing, I don't have tips enabled, but that's just largely because I feel awkward taking tips. Having said that, I have a few clients where they've gone, we like your work and and then all of a sudden they've paid and then all of a sudden I might get a notification on Ko-Fi or Streamlabs or them going, hey, we tipped you a bit more money. It's like, what was that for? (laughs) And it does, like it still surprises me to this day when someone ever, anyone ever donates to my Ko-Fi or when I was using Streamlabs, Streamlabs for my streaming. Tipping an artist, yeah, is a pretty special thing for the artists. I mean, a lot of us just don't expect it. And so when you do it, it's quite surprising. But having said that, the best way you can support an artist if you love their work is if you see them post something, comment, tweet it, like it, you know, share that original link to that content because that does a lot in terms of like it gets back to that traditional word of mouth notion, but in a modern social media sense, those sort of interactions are huge because you're sharing you're saying to the artist, I like your work enough that I'm going to share a link to your content with my audience. And you don't know the volume of the audience that they're sharing it with. And so it's, just, again, it's this whole thing if they've decided to share your work onwards in a way that they can. And for me, whenever I get a like or a retweet, I get a little bit of a buzz <laughs> because it's the case of, wow, if they like my work and they've retweeted it to their audience or they've, you know, shouted me out when I get a recommendation on Twitter, it's, it's, it's something that I'm still not used to and that's just me being me, but <laughs> it's, yep. it's always quite a humbling and wonderful experience to do that for an artist. So for me, that's the best way if you can't afford a commission to an artist, but you love their work anyway, just interact with their content. It's you, you don't have an understanding of how big an ideal that makes to someone when you do that. It's like, that's the biggest thing you can do. Well, at that, we might, uh, 
Paul, thanks for a close. Thank you for having me. Not a worry at all. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Now, just want to say again, so you're little Artie on most platforms like uh, Twitch. I'm actually, I'll include all of your uh, your links in the description of the episodes as well, just if anyone wants to find your uh, Kofi page or your website. Yeah, so on my website, I also have like a contact form. I also have links to my other, like where I am also findable on the internet. So that's that helps yep. people that, um, yeah. But yeah, I'm on Twitter and on Instagram as Little Artie Studio. On Twitter, I'm just Little Artie, but... That's, I think, what I'm mostly known around the Adelaide community is just Artie. Yep, but, yep. but, yeah, no, it's, I really appreciate having the opportunity to chat with you today and would love to have another chat at some point soon, depending on what you wanted to talk about. Yeah, certainly, certainly. And that actually brings you to uh, anybody out there listening. You can submit any questions or topics through to bbmpodcast at bigbrainmedia.org if you'd like to uh, hear more from Artie and hear more about the art world. If you've got any questions, let us know. All right. Bye. See ya.